On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Terry, and Terry was trauma bonded to a manipulating physical abuser. It's a story of isolation, feeling stuck, threats, stalking, and exerting your power. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Terry is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And there is a content warning for today's episode, as we do have graphic descriptions of physical abuse in multiple spots in this episode. There's also a lot of stalking that goes on in this episode and a lot of threatening behavior that might be um, triggering to a lot of people. So that is your content warning for today's episode. And today, Terry is going to tell her story. And Terry's story is one where she is extremely trauma bonded and addicted to her abuser. And it takes Terry numerous times to um, eventually break away from her abuser. And we always hear that it takes, you know, seven times on average to leave your abuser for good. And for Terry, she was. Uh, uh, higher than that. And this went on for a long time. And the trauma bond was extremely strong when it came to Terry and uh, the abuser. And, you know, once they were able to do anything, you know, Terry was in a, in a really, really bad spot. And I just want to thank Terry for being a guest here today. It's not an easy story to tell. And I'm now going to just get out of my way in your way. Terry, the floor is now yours. Um, I was raised by a really hardworking single mother who um, was kind of always there for me. Um, you know, what she lacked in finances, she made up for in every other way. Um, and my dad wasn't really around. I was the middle child. Um, and growing up, I had a very close-knit family, um, you know, Sunday night dinners, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents all living on the same street. Um, I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart who I met at 16. And I kind of did everything by the book, like very traditional. Um, I got married, you know, I went to college, I got married, I was a first grade teacher, I got pregnant. Um, I bought a home and everything just kind of played out exactly the way I had envisioned it to play out. And um, my biggest goal in life was to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was able to do that. To say that I was inexperienced in the way of dating would be an understatement. You know, I had, you know, my ex-husband I was with for 25 years and, and he was a good man and a great father and 
know, he wasn't a great husband for me, but he's he's a good man. Um, and so, oh, what does that mean? He is a man who I believe had my best interests. Um, I believe that he had my children's best interest at all times. Um, you know, he, he was physically there for me. We didn't have great communication. And so I, you know, I think that was probably a big downfall. Um, and and I think that me being 16 years old when we met, um, was really the worst possible thing for me. I had, you know, I was kind of raised under him and I kind of allowed him to um, dictate who I was. Um, and and so I think that that was really the, the downfall of, of, ev- of everything. So it's safe to say that you're 16 years old your beliefs of what you want in the world are a specific thing, but you still have not grown mentally in a way to truly understand, is this what you really want? And then you're in this marriage for a very, very long time where, you know, maybe promises and things were said when you're 16 years old that you don't agree with anymore. And that's very fair. It doesn't matter how old you are. And that's very fair. But it's specifically in this instance, when you're that young to be living a life that you thought you wanted to lead and you're living with someone who still wants to maybe lead that life. You're still kind of, I guess, under that kind of way of living even though you know you have outgrown this way and your thought process and what you wanted out of life. And is there more than what I've been with since the age of 16? And I'm sure that is a common theme amongst people who got married or started dating someone at such a very young age and then marry them and then are with them for just such a long time. That's my, am I close there? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're close. You know, at 16, he was much older than me. He was five years older than me. He was 21. And so I looked up to him. I had put him on this pedestal and, um, and I kept him on that pedestal for a long time. And then, you know, life happens and, you know, shit happens. And, you know, he slowly began to fall off of that pedestal for me. Ultimately, he always had veto power on everything that we did. And so I think I was I was starting to be tired of that. And I kind of wanted wanted some independence. So my marriage ended pretty much as soon as the man that abused me, you know, inserted himself into my life. Um, I very quickly began to pull away from, from my, from my marriage pretty, pretty quickly. You know, I believe that relationships, uh, take work. Uh, and I, I don't think that I was prepared for what was happening to me once, once I met, once I met him and he, he had a hardcore press, um, to, 
kind of make me his. And quite honestly, I it felt good. Um, it felt good to be needed and, and wanted by somebody because I didn't necessarily always feel that from my husband. Um, I think that we had we had really uh, masked our relationship by burying ourselves in our children and our friends and my family. Um, and once all those things kind of started to disappear and, you know, friends kind of disappeared and think, you know, things happened and I, you know, I lost a baby and, um, our kids started to go to school and they weren't in sports anymore and things like that. And, you know, my, my marriage, we, it was stripped down and we were stuck looking at each other. Um, so my marriage ended absolutely because of the man that abused me, but I, I definitely am not sorry that I'm not married to my ex-husband. If that makes sense. So where did you meet this person that the story is about the abuser in your life? And, you know, how quickly did like things really start to go or did it take a while um, once you met them? Yeah. So the confidence was pretty low, especially after having lost um, my, my son. And so I ended up joining a boxing gym and um, he was this very charismatic group instructor and I ended up hiring him as my personal trainer. And, you know, I, I think it's probably worth mentioning that um, the man that abused me was um, a high level athlete, football, track, boxing, weightlifting, you know, jujitsu. And he took pride in making sure that he worked out every day. So I, I met him in the gym. Um, he took kind of a special interest in me. He, uh, you know, he would start to use me as an example in a class and he would, you know, demand that I give him a hug after class and he would, um, you know, just do things that, that always made me feel special. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was how it started in the gym, in a boxing gym. And how did things, uh, progress from there? He asked me to go to lunch one day and um, I, I just thought that it was a friendly lunch. I really didn't. I was I, I get, you know, looking back on it, it feels really naive to say that. Um, but I had never really been pursued by anybody um, outside of my husband. Um, and so we went to lunch and and right there he um, he tried to kiss me and I pulled away and um, but he was, he's relentless in his pursuit and he continued to, you know, to pursue me. And I continued to push him away for, for months until finally I gave in. I finally let him do what he'd been trying to do for many months. We had kind of developed a close friendship. Um, he told me about his weekends and, and, you know, we, we saw each other every single day. Either I was, you know, paying him for private sessions or I was in the gym taking his class. And so I, we just became very close. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess giving in for me, it was just me 
not pushing him away anymore and allowing him to to do what he'd been trying to do. So here's an instance at the beginning where there's a, a heavy pursuit on the other end and a persistence of not taking no for an answer. And uh, there's a, a pushiness. There's a pushiness that is going on and it it wears you down until eventually yeah. you're, you're saying yes to something. And I've probably stated this once before, maybe a couple of times before someone, everyone's like, Oh, that person's persistent. That person's persistent. And they always say persistency pays off and in society sees persistency in a, in a very positive way a lot of the time. But at the same time, someone that's, persistent specifically in this instance if you look at the reality of it they're not respecting your boundaries and you're constantly saying no and they're doing their best still to bang their head in a very crude way like until your fence just breaks they're they're not coming through the front door and you opening that front door they're wearing a hole in the fence to let themselves in. And in this case, that's what they've done. And in the vein of, or in the, you know, here's this person who's been helping you with working out. Here's this person who's become your friend. Here's this person that's probably been giving you some advice and and listening to you throughout everything that you've been dealing with and life and eventually with that persistence they've probably become a truth teller in your world and someone that you listen to and respect for their opinion because you can see that they're so successful in these other ways as well and that they're this high level athlete and that you know they're you know just like uh in this position of power within that world and they're taking this interest in you and eventually i assume that you must feel special after a while and you kind of take all of it together and when you say yes now you're in the spot where he wants you. You don't know it, but you are. Uh, fair to say? Yes. You know, I, I think that he did a really good job of developing this special trust between us. Um, he confided in me things about his past and his upbringing. He would periodically cry in front of me and be very vulnerable. He would, you know, pay attention to me, which is, which honestly at the time was really all I needed. Um, but I also believe that the physical transformation that he helped me to, to do with my own body, um, it, it also developed a really strong bond between us. Like we were, we were a team and, you know, I did the work, but I couldn't have done it without him is how he made me feel. Um, 
And so, he, you know, he would always need something from me. He would, you know, you, I'd have to help him or bring him some food or I'd have to, you know, pick something up at the store or drop something off or, you know, put out fires for him. And so for me and my personality, um, I, I believe that 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 was what I needed at the time, because, you know, as my children got older, they they kind of gravitated towards my my ex-husband. And, um, you know, after having been a stay at home mom for 14 years, my kids were old enough and, you know, I wasn't go- I wasn't volunteering at their school anymore. They weren't playing baseball anymore. And I, I just felt a lot less needed. So. Um, here comes this man who um, needed me and it felt it felt good Um, looking back on it now I believe that everything that he did was very calculated and that he was playing the long game Um, that special interest he took in me like he I believe that he was seeing where this was going for years to come Um, you know he isolated me very quickly from my family and my friends. Um, he would give me free fitness advice and make me feel as though I owed him. Um, he got me my first job as a trainer. And so I owed him for that. So yeah, there were, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of ways that he kind of reeled me in. So your ex began telling you that your family was jealous of your body transformation once you started boxing. You know, this person wanted to isolate you from them. And they also began telling you that you two are such a great team. So, you know, that is going on. And how did he isolate you from your friends? So, yeah, my my. I, I was isolated quick from my family in that way. From my friends, it was, um, you know, anytime I went out with my friends, he needed constant contact with me. He was relentless with his communication. Um, you know, I, I would have to respond within X amount of time with a text or I would have to, yeah, I would absolutely have to answer a phone call no matter what. Um, and it just got to a point where it was easier not to, to go out with my friends um, because I was kind of conditioned to believe that if I, you know, had a mistake and I, I didn't answer within a certain amount of time or I didn't answer a phone call or I didn't answer a text, um, you know, all hell would break loose. So early on here, you know, he's become this truth teller in your world. He's become someone that's been put on a pedestal and a lot of the things that are going on with you in the physical realm, there's nothing but kind of positive feelings around all of these things. There's no reason to question anything in a lot of ways with the isolation that's going on. He's given you a good excuse as why you should, you know, maybe... Or, or he's given you uh, a reason with you know them saying that they're him saying that they're jealous uh, to have that separation where it makes it look like you're the one that has kind of done the isolation, even though there's the influence. And so when the other isolation with the friends happen, the progression has kind of started to happen already, where the love bombing has worked, everything's worked, and 
now this separation can happen before things continue to get worse. So from here, uh, what starts to happen? Things that I would question, he would chalk it up to me being, um, you know, I was almost 10 years older than him. So he would chalk it up to me, you know, being older and not really knowing what was going on or me having no dating experience or um, he he would, you know, make excuses that honestly I bought hook, line and sinker. Um, But then, you know, outbursts would happen and, you know, he would he would, you know, throw these temper tantrums over things that were, you know, minuscule, or at least I felt like they were minuscule. Um, And then he would chalk those outbursts up to saying that, oh, he was just really passionate or, you know, he was worried about me and he didn't want anything to happen to me and he needed to protect me. Um, He would also start humiliating me in public, in the gym, um, and he would yell at me in front of a class or he would yell at me during a training session and, um, embarrass me. And he chalked that up to, you know, oh, well, I just see so much potential in you and I want you to live up to your potential. Um, I want you to be the best you can be. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to be the best too. So, um, you know, I'll just work harder. And, and like I said, the constant communication needing to where, to know where I was at all times and, you know. Again, he chalked that up to, you know, making sure that I was safe. Um, You know, any talk about failed relationships on his end, you know, the crazy ex, they were all crazy and, you know, they were just jealous and cheaters. And naively, I, I believed him. I believed him. I believed that I was different. I believed that I, you know, the, the, the typical... (laughs) What I'm about to say is like, it sounds so naive now that I'm saying it out loud, but the typical, you know, he won't do this to me and I'm different and I'll be able to help him. I felt all those things and I believed all those things. So I, I became hooked on this guy pretty early on, um, but I did attempt to cut it off uh, about a month in and thought, you know what, this is, you know. I can't do this anymore. This is this is not right. I'm not doing it. And I wrote a long email and and his response to that was um, I didn't finish reading that email. And oh, no, you know, I'm not done with you yet. And and then he said, you know, I'm going to fight for you. And, you know, again, naively, I I, felt good, like, okay, this guy's going to fight for me. You know, he he used to say things like, you know, it could be so easy. And he sold me on the fact that a life with him would be easy. Um, He had all sorts of future faking plans. And, you know, we were going to open a gym together. And, um, you know, the constant attention and the feeling of being protected, I think, is what really hooked me. Um, I clearly was, you know, needing someone who I thought cared and and then the devaluations all came and it would you know he would say things like you know i i was being lazy um or he would say you know how old like i said before how old and out of date i was and that my style and my music preferences were you know ridiculous and i didn't know what i was talking about with fitness 
and, and he that that was kind of his way of devaluating me. Um, and then he he would kind of take those all back by doing the exact opposite. He would show me off to other people and tell everybody that I was the hardest working woman he'd ever met. Or he would embrace my music and he would start to listen and dance and sing to to my music instead of his. Um, and, you know, the, the gaslighting was that was always a constant. And and, you know, he would always he would always tell me that I had a horrible memory and that, you know, I never that he never said that or never did, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it was. So this must have been confusing, you know, going back to those parts where he's kind of tearing you down, but then he's also building you up in front of other people. How are you reconciling that? Like, did you say anything to him or are you sitting in, a confusion in like a deer in headlights of like what's going on and were you afraid to say anything or, or bring anything up you know he had such a temper and he had such a way of throwing tantrums that um that i i think i just let things go i i just was like a duck and i just let let the water roll off my back and i i i didn't i didn't fight a whole lot um, just in an effort to keep the peace. Um, and so, you know, all of those, all of those ways that he cut me down, I mean, I, I, they, they definitely took their toll on me. You know, I felt defeated all the time. I felt more, you know, in some ways I was so insecure, I was so secure. And then in other ways I felt incredibly insecure. Um, you know, he was responsible for me being a trainer, um, for 10 for, you know, I was ended up being a trainer for a decade and I loved it and I was good at it. And, but, but he was constantly telling me, telling me that I, you know, I was a horrible trainer. I didn't know what I was talking about that, you know, X, Y, Z on, on that. But then he would also say the exact opposite. And so, you know, I, I think I just was like, what's going on? What's going on here? Am I nuts? Am I crazy? And then I, I, I definitely started to feel crazy. Okay, well, maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one. Did you reach out for support and ask anyone uh, questions or were you too afraid to? No, I didn't reach out. Um, at that point, you know, we were already together. I had, you know, I had been isolated from my family at that point. Um, I kind of felt like I had made my bed and I was going to sleep in it. And, um, and I, I, this was what I chose. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make it work. And I was constantly like leading by example and trying to be the role model of, you know, how to react and, you know, try to, to do the things that, um, you know, that I didn't do in my own marriage, I was attempting to do in this relationship. And I just felt like, you know, that like he, he's going to fall in line. He's going to see, he's going to see how dedicated I am. He's going to see how loyal I am to this. And, and it's all going to come together. Um, but, you know, clearly it, it never did, you know, the, the gaslighting and, you know, it was just the vicious cycle of gaslighting, love bombing, threats. So, you know, like I said, the, 
you know, he was constantly gaslighting me, you know, never remember. I never remembered things correctly or I was overreacting to, you know, whatever his threats would be. Um, he would never actually go through with any of those things is what he would tell me. And, you know, the love bombings were, you know, all all the promises to take me away on trips and detail my car and, you know, do all these things. But, you know, the the, the big manipulation for him were his threats to me. And they changed, you know, they changed periodically at the beginning. Um, at the beginning, his threat to me was that he was going to leave. And that was terrifying to me because now I had no family and had no friends. And the thought of him leaving was more than I could handle. Um, I was having to, you know, create an income for myself. And I had never really financially supported myself. So the idea of doing that alone was was overwhelming. Um, so at the beginning, those threats to leave were were really big. Um, and, you know, the things like throwing a drink in my face or spitting at me, like I just I always thought those were one offs like, oh, that like he wouldn't do, you know, he's not going to do that again. That was just a one off. But all of those threats and all of those things progressively got worse and worse. And, um, you know, and the, and then he he did start to put his hands on me and he would, you know, lay in wait behind a door um, as I came in and attacked me from behind or he would knee me in the stomach or and, you know, remember, this is this is a high level athlete, a black belt in jujitsu. This is not somebody that I'm fighting off. And I was pretty, I was pretty strong. I was a pretty strong girl at that point, but I was not, I was not able to protect myself from him. Um, you know, his threats then became, um, I think he kind of realized that physically hurting me was not the worst thing that he could do to me. Um, the worst thing that he could do to me was to threaten to harm my children. And it was those threats that really ended up keeping me there for as long as they they did um he and he threatened he threatened to harm my children often so when the physical altercations happen how do you feel after how do you reconcile what's happened and then when the threats of harm to your children happen you know the same questions like how are you feeling and uh, like, where where are you going mentally in the aftermath of those things? And also during them, you know, are you do you again like do you kind of like space out and, and freeze? Um, you know, what's the process of your trauma response to everything? Yeah, I think I knew. Uh, I early on, I think I knew my best bet was to not fight back. Um, I, I was always hopeful that he would like come to, I, I think I thought that he was just in such a rage and he would like look me in the eye and he would see the fear in my eye and something would, you know, snap back and he, he would become him, you know, not crazy anymore. Um, and so I, you know, I think during the abuse, that was the tactic. That was the response that I would take was that I would, um, I would not fight back and really hope that, that he would come to, um, 
And then after after the fact, uh, or early on, he did a pretty good job of apologizing. Um, and, you know, it was always him groveling, coming back and apologizing profusely. Um, and I think I thought, you know, I'm a strong woman. And I am in love with a very troubled <laughs> troubled, troubled man um, who has a lot of issues. And I think I thought that my strength would be what helped him. Um, and so, and then quite honestly, the cycle started all over again, the love bombing. And, you know, there would be a two week period of pure bliss after an altercation. And, and then I would think, oh, he does have it in him. This this is who he really is. And and so I was always striving for that potential of that, you know, two, three week period of love bombing. But clearly that was never the case. That was not who he was. But who he was was the monster that attacked me. And, you know, the 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 love bombing dude was was just a facade. So as you mentioned earlier, the threats of harm to your family created this, you know, more fear, you know, than the physical abuse that you were going through, that you were enduring. So just talk about that. And there were other threats that were happening as well. So, so take us through that as well. So I think he, you know, he learned that threats to my children were going to affect me far greater than physically hurting me. Um, not to say that he didn't continue to physically hurt me, but the threats to my children became more, more often and it would happen more frequently. Um, he would also threaten to, you know, show inappropriate videos or photos to my family or put them on the internet. Or like I said before, he would threaten to, to leave me or destroy my income. That was another big one. And he did do that multiple times. He destroyed, uh, my business. I had started my own fitness company and or personal training business. And he threat or he accused me of of having a, a a thing with one of my coworkers. And um and then he proceeded to threaten to kill my coworker, which then I was forced out of my gym to, so I could no longer train people there anymore. Um and then I ended up getting a restraining order on him. And that was when the cycle of, you know, of stalking and harassing started. And he ended up, you know, throwing paint on a, a coworker's brand new car. Um, he slashed tires of somebody, you know, a girl that was at my house. Um, and so I, I started to feel like, oh, you know, he is going to make good on all these things. These weren't just threats. They weren't idle threats. He was actually carrying carrying through a lot of the things um, on not just me. And I, I guess my point of my point of that is that the physical abuse to me was honestly the the least concerning at the time. For for me, it was everything outside of that that affected everybody around me. So something very odd that occurred was a triangulation between 
the person he was having an affair with, your abuser was having an affair with, uh, you know, and they seem to be very trauma bonded to him to act the way they did. So uh, walk us through this. Triangulation. He had, you know, this, the, the woman he's still with, um, you know, she, I didn't know this, but she, you know, she was a part of his life for almost our entire relationship. And he would somehow involve her, you know, when things got really bad between us, he would involve her and she would, you know, write me a note and tell me to, you know, you should get back to him. And he really loves you. He doesn't love me. And, um, you know, on like really strange, <laughs> strange, strange things to have, you know, a, a second woman come in and, and tell me that I, sh- I, I had to get back with him. Every time we parted, he would always, you know, he would always make me feel like, um, you know, this time was different and that, you know, I was the one and I was the only one and that he had finally seen the light and that he knew that I was the only one for him. And each time this happened, I took him back. Um, and I think that each time I took him back, he lost a little bit more respect for me because the the abuse worsened each time. So the abuse is worsening and eventually the police do get involved. So walk us through this. So the first time he was arrested, uh, it, it was actually an accidental arrest because I was pretending to call the police. Um, I had 911 dialed and I, I thought that if I if I threatened that, that he would leave. And that was all I wanted was him to leave. Um, and when I put the phone up to my ear, it accidentally dialed 911. And I just hung up and didn't realize that that the police would come no matter what. Um, so he was not leaving. Um, and I believe that this was a fight. Um, I'm sure it was a fight over, you know, lies and, you know, a lie that I caught him in. Um, and he ended up throwing a drink at my face. And, um, and so I, I decided I was going to leave. And so I went downstairs, um, to get in my car and the police showed up. And um, they ended up going upstairs and and arresting him. Um, and of course, I bailed him out, which is mind boggling for me. Uh, at the time, I couldn't believe that I was doing it. I understand now um, that I was so trauma bonded at this point that I, I just I was like his little puppet. Um you know, there was another time where, you know, I had I locked myself in the spare bedroom and um, and he kicked in my door, um, you know, pulled the frame of the door off. He threw my computer at the door uh, and and then, you know, attacked me on the bed. He was very careful to not leave marks on me. He knew he knew exactly where to hurt me um, so that that nobody else could see. Um, there was another time where he actually threatened me with a baseball bat. Um, I was standing at the kitchen and he came at me with a baseball bat. Um, he ended up putting the bat down, but um, I think at this point, 
I started to kind of go back, go, go after him when he would, um, when he would come after me. And oddly enough, it, it kind of, it kind of mellowed him a little bit. It, it, I, it almost scared him. Um, but in, on this particular occasion, he came after me with the baseball bat. He ended up putting the bat down, um, as he was going out the door, I, I think I pushed him. He ended up pushing me into a wall, the corner of a wall. I broke my head open, started bleeding immediately. I was yelling, screaming, I'm bleeding. And he ran out the front door, got in his car and drove away. Um, he called me right away and said, you got to get out of there. The police are on their way. You got to go. You got to get out of there. Um, and he had me meet him at a gas station. And so I did leave. He had me meet him at a gas station. He had a, a you know, a bottle of water and, um, you know, he poured water on my head and said, you, we should go to the beach so that you can put some salt water in that and get some super glue. Um, it was deep enough. It probably needed stitches, but, um, we got some super glue and he stitched it up. And I, I remember being in the ocean while he sat on the beach on the phone with another woman. <laughs> um, the, the abuse got worse and worse and worse as time went on. At this point, all of his affairs had not all of his affairs. Some of his affairs had come to light. And so his whole demeanor to me was much different than it than it was in the past. He was no longer apologetic. There was no longer this honeymoon phase of apologies or love bombing. Um, things got worse and worse on his part. And it makes sense that it does. And that early on there were cycles. And now he's been able to be physically abusive. He's been able to openly, you know, be, uh, be a cheater. Um, police have been involved. You still have gone back to him and you're still drawn to him and you're still trauma bonded. And he's done all of those things and you're still there. So whatever facade that was being shown before he knows, or at least this abuser knows that it doesn't matter what he does anymore, that you are so bonded to him that he can do anything. And at the end of the day, you're going to come back somehow. So it makes sense that he doesn't care anymore or he doesn't care to love bomb you back, or he doesn't care about how he's acting in any sort of way because he has you. He's manipulated you in every way. You don't have really a support system. And like many abuse victims, you it takes seven times to leave to eventually leave for good. And, you know, yeah, you, I, you, you're, you're have sorry. I think my average uh, will bump that up a little bit. I, I was definitely more than seven times. Um, and I, you know, I fled 
multiple times. I fled my city multiple times. Um, I got my car. I, I had involved my family and they suggested that I drive to Oregon and I stay at a family members in Oregon. And so I did. Um, I did it hesitantly. It wasn't my idea. I, you know, I, I had not involved my family for seven years and then I got my family involved. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to just do whatever they say, whatever they think I should do. So I drove to Oregon and I, you know, he called me incessantly, like all day long, he would call. And this was with a restraining order. I had a restraining order on him. Um, What ended up happening was that I, my plan was to completely leave California and live in Idaho, start completely over. I had already rented a place in Idaho. What ended up happening is that I drove to Oregon. I dealt with his harassment for a couple of weeks. And then I made the mistake of responding. One time I responded to one thing and that started a conversation between us. And he flew to Oregon and he picked me up and the cycle started all over again. The person that I was at that point, I I think was incredibly defeated. Um, I think I felt like there was nothing that I was going to be able to do to break this bond. And it was on, you know, he was on my mind 24 seven. Um, I, I couldn't imagine a life without hair in it. Um, as bad as it was, I, I didn't know how to break away. And it wasn't that like, it wasn't that I didn't want to break away. I just didn't know how I was going to. Um, so I, I think that I was incredibly defeated um, at this point. Were you an, you're an you're, at this point, you're an addict, I guess. Absolutely. I was an addict. I would count the days of my no contact like I was an addict. Um, I would, you know, OK, I'm two days, no contact. I'm six days, no contact. Um, and then like an addict, I would end up starting over day one. So eventually your abuser gets arrested again. So what happens from here? You know, he he got caught in another lie, um, not just by me, but by others. And he was called out on it and it sent him in a total tailspin. Um, At this time, we were kind of on and off. Um, He was not living with me. He was telling me that he was living uh, with with a friend, but it turned out that he's living with his he was living with his um current supply who I, who I believe they're still together um so he threatened to kill me um told me that i better not come home that he would be there um he he didn't have a key to my house he wasn't moved in he he probably had a few things at my house but anyway i ended up calling the police and i sat in a grocery store parking lot waiting for the police to arrive Um, because I was afraid to go home into my own home. And when I got to my house, I noticed that there was a light off in my house that was never off. And I told the police, you know, I think he's in there. And I gave them the keys to go up. And he was sitting in the living room in a chair in the dark, waiting 
for me to open the door. He had no idea that I had called the police. Um, he again was ended up getting arrested. Um, but that, that was, uh, that was a big arrest because he ended up getting state charges brought up on him for, um, terrorist threats for threatening to kill me, um, via text. Um, ultimately I was told that if I didn't write a letter to the DA to get those charges dropped, that he would kill me. And so that's what I did month, you know, several months later, I ended up writing a letter to the DA and getting those charges dropped for him. Um, but that, those, those stories and, and the, the restraining orders, the restraining orders did worse. They, they were restraining orders were absolutely no help to me at all. Uh, when he had a restraining order on him, his, his threats and his stalking and harassment, uh, magnified exponentially. He would, um, he would have a ski mask on driving, uh, his current supplies car in my complex at four 30 in the morning. He would have a burner phone and he would say, I like, I like the jeans jacket that you're wearing. So he was watching me from a window. Um, he would drive up next to me in a car and he would, you know, make a, a, a sign or, you know, a gesture on his throat that he, you know, he would slit my throat. Um, he would call incessantly 30, 40, 50 times nonstop. Um, he would show up at my work. For me, it was always easier to not have a restraining order. Um, and at some point it just, it got to a point where it was easier to have him in my life than it was to not have him in my life because the stress of not having him in my life and him just popping up and, you know, showing up at, you know, I'd be at a bar with, with somebody or to dinner with somebody and he would show up. So he was watching me at all times. So it was very, very stressful. It got to a point where, um, I was having to move because my landlord, um, heard us fighting is, is, often as we did. And he ended up, um, I find I signed a lease for the very first time in my life by myself. I moved myself in the middle of the night so that he wouldn't find me. Um, and he combed the neighborhood and ended up finding me the day I moved in. Um, this is after I had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, which, by the way, did did nothing for him. I, like there was no reprieve uh, with a cancer diagnosis. Um, I thought I actually thought there might be. Um, it was that cancer diagnosis I, though, I, that I that I I believe ultimately saved my life. It was when that was when I finally decided. Oh my gosh, my environment is killing me. Um, if he doesn't kill me with his bare hands, then, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that I was, my body was fighting the wrong things. And had I not been living in a state of fight or flight for a decade, I believe my body would have fought this cancer off. So, um, 
he ended up finding me the day I moved in and he threatened to kill me if he wasn't living there with me. And so the next three months or so were again, just him back and forth, back and forth. Um, the isolation had gotten even worse and I ended up, I was sitting on my couch, um, not uh, afraid to leave my house and I was scrolling through social media. Um, he, I was scrolling through social media. I ended up coming across a post of a woman who escaped her own narcissist and she moved herself to Florida and I made a comment on her post. She commented back. And within like a, we ended up getting on a, a phone conversation within 45 minutes. She invited me to come to her home um, for a week just to get away. And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going. And I had about th- a three week period between the time I bought the ticket and the time I left. And I, I oscillated many times on on leave or uh, canceling that trip. And ultimately I spent the weekend before with him. And I told myself, you know what? I'm getting on that plane. And, um, and so I did, I got on the plane and I had a stranger pick me up from the airport and I lived on a farm for a week. And after a week I thought, oh my God, I can't go back. I, I can't, I'm not ready. I can't go back. I, I went no contact with him. I blocked him on everything. He was incessantly calling, stalking, going by my house, you know, telling me that my mom's car was in the driveway or my car was in the garage or my kids were home. Um, but I held, I held strong and I, I didn't respond to any of those things. And, um, Ultimately, I had all of my things packed into my car and I had my car shipped to me and I never, I never left. Um, I moved 2,500 miles away. Um, I wish I could tell you that that was the end um, and that I never heard from him again. But, um, you know, the stalking and the harassment, harassment, you know, post me moving was significant. And, um, you know, again, you know, all the same tactics, um, except this time it, he was sprinkled in a lot more, uh, you know, I miss you. I love you emails. But ultimately, he ended up finding me, figured out what city I was in. He wrote me an email and he said, I want you to meet me at this bar on this date at this time. I want you to wear this, sit here, bring this. I never responded, um, but on that date, he ended up showing up where he thought I was and sent me a photo and a video that, um, and it said, you know, I'm here. Where are you, little girl? And it was then that I kind of decided, you know what? He's he's never going to stop. He's never going to stop until I assert my own power. And I left in September and in February, the very beginning of February, I put a camera in front of my face and I pressed play and I just started talking, telling my whole story. Um, and then I posted it 
I posted it on TikTok and um, it it did pretty good. <laughs> but his harassment still didn't stop. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to expose his name. I'm going to expose his face. I'm going to expose his business. I'm going to expose the videos that I have of him abusing me, the text messages, the audio, all of it. Um, so that's what I did. And um, what do you know? He stopped contacting me. He not only stopped contacting me, but he shut down all of his social media. He had a namesake business, um, Jiu-Jitsu Academy, that he ended up rebranding and took his name off of it and and had and now he's got, you know, his new supply and some other people that are now the face of that business. Um, and he's kind of a ghost. He's kind of a ghost on you know, on the internet. Um, but let me tell you, if you search his name, you'll see my face, which is exactly what I want. And in the aftermath of everything, how has your healing process been and what have you done? So that first initial video of me exposing him, um, I think really sparked this power that it it brought out in me and um you know I'm not gonna lie my healing process was tough but I was really really fortunate in being able to you know I was going to therapy religiously um I was I had surrounded myself with strangers that became my absolute best support system that could possibly be um, I slept, oh my gosh, I can't even begin to tell you how many hours I slept. <laughs> um, and I just had a lot of quiet time. And, you know, not only did I have quiet time, but I also was distracted with, um, with a new relationship. Um, it was a, a friendship. It started off initially as a friendship, um, with uh, the most kind, gentle, honest, trustworthy man who just constantly has my best interest at all times. And um, and so he was a, a great distraction. Um, like I said, it started off as a friendship and um, now I'm getting married. Um, so my my healing process has been out loud. I, I, I have made it a point to kind of uh, video record, you know, video diary, my, my healing process. I would go for walks and I would have these epiphanies about what my life was and what had happened to me. And so I would just start talking to my camera and I would post it and it, it somehow made me feel better. Um, and then I realized that I was not alone and that so many women were going through the exact same things or had been going through the exact same things that I had. And so it was really cathartic for me to, um, to kind of heal out loud. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? So I, I think that I, w what I wished I would have known was that I was never stuck. 
I felt stuck for many years. Um, but really nothing changed between day, you know, year one and year 10. You know, my finances were not significantly different. My home was not significantly different. My relationships were not significantly different. Everything was the same. So what I would say is that you're not stuck. Your mindset might be stuck, but you're not stuck. And, um, you know, you have to just kind of pull, pull the trigger. And one of the things that, you know, held me back for so long was just denial of, of what was actually happening to me. So we're not stuck. Not only are we not stuck, but you're stronger than you know, you're more powerful than you can imagine, and you are not alone. Well, Terry, I really want to thank you today for sharing your story and just giving a lot of the little details of the abuse, the manipulation tactics, and how you were feeling in a lot of these situations and for your words of wisdom as well. And I can't thank you enough for being here with us today, sharing everything, just letting uh, everything be seen. And you did a great job and you were very clear with everything. And I just can't thank you enough for, for being here with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing here. Well, thank you once again, Terry, for being a guest on our show today. And if you want to be a guest like Terry was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we have a support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. So go to our webpage at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, press that support group button, and you'll see that we have our very own safe social network inside. You know, we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. And we have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, web address, and email address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are from, DomesticShelters.org has it there. So if you need help from them, go to DomesticShelters.org. And another friend of our show is called Shelter Movers, and they can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps people who are getting out of coercive control and domestic violence. They get all of your stuff out of your home and into storage. That includes your pets and livestock, too. It is a donor-supported charitable organization. It is only in Canada right now. So if you, want to, if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's survivor story for for today's episode. So for myself and Terry, we hope you have a good night.